This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Oh, dear friends, it's great to be with you. This is the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Did you enjoy the supermoon? Not the Super Bowl, the supermoon. Uh, Saturday night, big, spectacular uh, show, depending on where you were and whether it was visible or not. But uh, uh, I tell you, I got to be honest, not a big fan of the supermoon. And uh, maybe a little later when we open up the phone lines, uh, we can we can talk about the supermoon. But it, it I had the last two, three nights an incredibly restless uh, sleep, did not sleep well. And now I'm wondering whether it can be attributed to the supermoon. Of course, there's been a, a debate, an age-old debate about whether the moon, the full moon, a supermoon can affect your mood and your sleep and so forth. Well, now researchers are starting to weigh in on this on the side uh, that that supports the idea that a supermoon can, in fact, disrupt your sleep pattern. So maybe we'll get into that maybe at some point because we just had the supermoon, but we've got two more coming our way this summer, consecutive months. I believe August 9th and September 10th. We've got two more supermoons coming down the pipe. Uh, I, I just got off the phone with Jim Fetzer, 9-11 truther, JFK assassination researcher, writer, uh, investigator, and uh, we were chatting about next week's show. Uh, next week, by the by, I'll be hosting a Coast to Coast, June 19th and 20th. That's next Saturday and Sunday night. But, but, I'm still doing The Conspiracy Show next Sunday night. Not to worry. You're my first priority. Anyway, so Jim Fetzer and I were chatting just before the show, uh, talking about next week's show because... Um, you may recall I've been trying to get Wolfgang Halbig on the program to discuss his investigation into the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting that happened December 2012. So here, here we are a year and a half later and still lots of unanswered questions. So I had Wolfgang, as you know, scheduled for an interview on two separate occasions and both times, for whatever reason, 
he stiffed me. Uh, so instead, Jim Fetzer will be with me next week because Jim traveled to Newtown, Connecticut back in May along with Wolfgang, and they were both poking around asking some pretty uncomfortable uh, questions, and they were met with, perhaps predictably, stony silence and scorn. And I want to let you know uh, that, I'm, that what I'm hearing from Jim Fetzer regarding Sandy Hook is absolutely shocking, almost unbelievable. Uh, yet the evidence, or should I say the lack of evidence of a shooting, is pretty darn compelling. And I, I, I hope you'll, you'll tune in next week when Jim Fetzer joins me to uh, discuss this in detail. Quite frankly, our conversation, again, just before showtime, has left me a little shaken. Uh, so anyway, Jim Fetzer on the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting next week on The Conspiracy Show. Also next week, Michael Luckman, a director of the New York Center for Extraterrestrial Research and the author of Alien Rock, The Rock and Roll Extraterrestrial Connection, uh, will join me. Uh, meanwhile, back on Earth, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? I mean, if someone wasn't firing rockets at someone else somewhere in the Middle East, I'd be shocked and confused. Uh, and just when we thought Al-Qaeda was so passé, so 2007, we now have a new threat, ISIS, this rampaging band of well-funded Sunni jihadists who are trying to establish a caliphate in uh, Iraq and Syria. So Al-Qaeda is out, apparently, and uh, we now have a new enemy called ISIS and a new bin Laden, by all accounts, al-Baghdadi. Uh, and here, here's where it, it gets kind of confusing. For all you playing along at home, try to follow the, uh, the bouncing ball. The United States has announced that in order to contain ISIS, now this is a group, we're told, by Jordania, uh, Jordanian officials who were interviewed in Der Spiegel magazine a, a short while ago, ISIS members were trained by U.S. military personnel in secret Jordanian training camps. So the, new, the U.S. is now announcing they're going to cooperate with Russia, Syria, and Iran to try and contain the monster they created, although they're not telling anybody they did that. Ostensibly, ISIS was trained in order to help the Free Syrian Armor, uh, Army oust Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. But now they're going to work with Assad and, and, uh, and uh, this battle with ISIS in order that was created to oust Assad. And they're going to rely on Russian air support in this battle. And they're going to cooperate with the great enemy Iran in all of this. Does any of this make sense to anyone? Of course not, because things are never as they appear. And whenever I'm thoroughly confused about what's going on, I mean really going on backstage in the global theater, I turn to my, uh, my next guest, who is the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. He's a, a conservative political commentator, a nonfiction survivalist author, retreat consultant who specializes in preparedness topics, particularly survival retreat and fallout shelter design and construction, as well as in what he calls strategic relocation. 
And he is, as I say, the founder and chief editor of World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service. Joel Skousen, welcome to The Conspiracy Show once again, my friend. How are you? Well, I'm fine, thank you. That's a great introduction you gave uh, to our uh, troubled world that I comment on each week. Well, uh, and, and uh, before we, we get to uh, this week's news uh, service or edition of the World Affairs Brief, I just want to quickly get your comment on uh, this never-ending uh, story in uh, Israel. The latest, of course, uh, Hamas has been raining down rockets on Israel, and Israel has been responding in kind in Gaza. But, uh, of course, uh, the casualties are just piling up on the Palestinian side, which, of course, has the entire world in an uproar, and understandably so. I mean, on, the, the casualties on, on always seem to be greater on the uh, the other side, shall we say, the Palestinian side, we're talking about women and children, and, and the images are stark and horrible. What what are we to make of this, uh, uh, Joel? I mean, it just seems to be the, this never-ending saga. Well, it is never-ending, and it will never end. Uh, there'll never be peace between the uh, Palestinians and the Israelis. Um, but what was interesting uh, to me from a historical perspective is that you will notice that whenever the Israelis, which are far superior in their military abilities, in no small part due to extensive U.S. aid to uh, develop high-tech uh, military technology, uh, they never are allowed to finish a battle with the uh, with Hamas or any of the radical jihadists that are part of the uh, the Arab movement. And let me just first of all preface my remarks by saying. Both sides have innocent people involved, uh, and both sides have bad governments, equally bad in my opinion. Um, and uh, so there are no good people. There are only victims uh, that are getting in the crossfire here between two very evil governments. Uh, the Israeli government under Benjamin Netanyahu is not uh, pro-Israel. It's not pro uh Zionist, it's nothing like that. It's globalist. Then you mean Netanyahu was a Kissinger protege. Uh, Kissinger and Associates paid for his education in the United States. They gave him his first uh, job in Wall Street. They set him up in political power in Israel by having him host as a young 29-year-old or so a anti-terrorism conference in Israel to which they graced with the presence of George H.W. Bush and Henry Kissinger and all the big globalist heavyweights. And whenever you can bring those kinds of people into Israel, you're an instant political star. So they made him a political star. But he plays as if he's a right-winger, but in fact he's a globalist, and there's a big difference. On the Palestinian side, you know, you have some very real terrorists who used to be very much connected with the uh, old Soviet bloc, going back to the PLO days. But, you know, there was a very interesting thing that happened historically in there when Yasser Arafat was in charge, a very corrupt individual. When he got when he died, it turned out that he had over, you know, uh, what was it, thirty million dollars in a Swiss bank account, and it turns out that the Israelis had helped set him up. You know, the U.S. bailed out Arafat many years, even when he was attacking U.S. troops in uh, in Lebanon, and was uh, caught there. So nothing is as it seems, Richard, in this world. Here you have the Israelis helping Arafat with a secret bank account, and who was it? It turned out to be Mark Rich, a dual citizenship Jew and uh, working 
with the Clinton administration who set up that bank account. He was also the one pardoned by President Bill Clinton as his last day uh, in, in office. And so there's a real connection between both sides. In a nutshell, my take on this is that the globalists essentially are playing both sides here. They continue to pour aid into the Palestinian Authority, uh, knowing that it's not leading to peace, but it's simply uh, keeping a war machine together. And, you know, after every one of these battles, Israel attacks Hamas, and they never finish the job. And they have this truce, and I can guarantee you a truce is coming before Hamas is eradicated, and they will have eliminated some of the rocket launching sites, and they'll rebuild them again. And in the meantime, innocent uh, Jews and innocent Arabs are being used as bloody battering rams against one another. It's just uh, a tragic, a horror show beyond uh, imagination. But here's where they're headed, and we got a glimpse of this. I predicted this several years ago in my World Affairs Brief, and we just got a confirmation of that this week, when one of the major globalist publications came out with their solution to the Middle East. And I've always said, the reason they stop short of winning and getting rid of the radicals on either side is that the globalists really want continual conflict. They ultimately want UN intervention, because with UN intervention you have destruction of sovereignty and you have basically a global government coming into Israel and managing the whole area. And sure enough, globalist thinking comes out with their solution for the Palestinians and said, we're going to call a truce and we're going to bring in American and Canadian peacekeepers, and they're going to occupy the Gaza Strip. Instead of the Israelis manning the border, we'll have peacekeepers manning the border. All of a sudden, for the first time, you have this big suggestion we're going to have, you know, UN, uh, American and and Canadian soldiers uh, keeping the peace between these two sides. That's their entrance in there. And once, as we know, peacekeepers enter in, Uh, It's really a a reduction in sovereignty. You never get your freedom back. You simply have a managed uh, state solution by a a global government. But there has to be a reason why no one ever reaches a solution here uh, to get rid of the rockets and the tunnels. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have a truce. Hamas has always used the truce to build more rockets. And, you know, the global solution is we confiscate their rockets. So what difference does it make? They were gone the last time, and they have extensive tunnel smuggling through Egypt and through the uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and they're going to build more rockets. All right. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief, stays with us as we take a peek backstage in the global theater. Things are not as they appear. Back with more of my conversation with Joel here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Sarek. Don't go away. Hey, just a reminder, season three of The Conspiracy Show, television program with Richard Serrett, debuts across Canada on Vision TV August the 11th at 10 p.m. 13 brand new episodes, August 11th, 10 p.m. Eastern across Canada on Vision TV. All right, Joel Skousen stays with us, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Before we get back to the Middle East, Joel, how do people subscribe to World Affairs Brief? Well, the World Affairs Brief is showcased on my website, worldaffairsbrief.com, and there's a modest subscription for the World Affairs Brief. They can click on the subscribe button, but before they do so, they should email me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com for a free sample copy, and I'll be happy to send it out to them. 
All right. Uh, Joel, a while back we learned uh, from sources like Der Spiegel magazine that ISIS, uh, this rampaging group of Sunni jihadists, um, were actually trained, some of them anyway, trained by U.S. military personnel on a secret Jord- uh, uh, military base in Jordan, uh, ostensibly to assist the Free Syrian Army in ousting uh, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Uh, and now uh, Frankenstein's monster has uh, uh, gone out of, gotten out of control and is now knocking on the, uh, the door of Saudi Arabia. Uh, and so in order to contain the monster, we're now being told and asked to believe that the United States is going to join uh, in cooperation with its enemies, Russia, Syria, and Iran. Uh, I'm really confused. Uh, Joel, help me sort this out. What, what kind of strange alliance is this? Well, it is typical of what the United States has built in the name of of uh, you know, world stability and democracy, they have funded terrorism. They've funded jihadists around the world. That's what Benghazi was all about, secret weapons conduit, and the weapons that uh, the United States had captured during the uh, Libyan war, and were shipping those to the Syrian jihadists. There's also been, and since that was shut down, obviously, in the weapons captured by competitors, the pipeline now goes through Saudi Arabia and Turkey, and that's where uh, ISIS is getting most of their weapons. So it's not just a little bit of training in Jordan. They've got sophisticated weapons. And the U.S., of course, with its total surveillance system, both satellites in the sky and eavesdropping, knows exactly what's been going on. And the bigger story, of course, is that they, uh, the Iraqis under al-Maliki had uh, desperately tried to get the U.S. and British to interdict and uh, bomb the camps that were being built up uh, using as an attack base in Iraq uh, before this all started last month, and the U.S. and British just thumbed their nose at it and refused, which means that the U.S. not only knew that they were arming a future enemy that was going to play havoc in Iraq, but they refused to interdict those forces when they were in camps, and now they can't interdict. And it really is a misnomer, I mean, meaning they can't interdict because they're out of the camps now and they're into the cities. They have attacked, captured most of the cities in northern Iraq, given uh, Kirkuk and the rest to the uh, uh, Kurdish faction, which are holding tight to their possessions. Um, I don't believe that ISIS is going to be able to take over Baghdad South. I don't think they're intended to. Uh, but I think we're going to see finally the separation into three ethnic groups in Iraq. Um, but ultimately, it's a misnomer to say that the U.S. has joined forces with Iran and Russia. There is no formal coalition of uh, managing this uh, war together. They're simply the U.S. is saying, you know, we've got our territory, the Baghdad embassy, the green zone, which we control. We're bringing in troops. We're going to do this. You know, what you do, we're not going to oppose. And so uh, Russians have... Uh, you know, some SU fighters in there that are running uh, airstrikes. Uh, it gave al-Maliki an excuse to cancel the F-16 contract with the United States, which was taking years. I don't think the U.S. really intended to give them the F-16s. Now they've got Russians to replace them. And Iran is coming in with uh, Republican Guard forces, in order, or not Republican Guard, but their Revolutionary Guard, in order to uh, make sure that the Sunnis do not, you know, get Baghdad south and the oil revenue. But ultimately, I think where this is headed, Richard, is that the U.S. will use uh, 
the excuse to attack ISIS as an excuse for going back in and attacking Syria. Uh, remember that uh, Syria has to be taken down before Israel is leashed, unleashed against Iran. And these temporary treaties that they've got with chemical weapons treaty with Assad and the nuclear treaty or agreement uh, with Iran is just a temporary de- delaying tactic because of John Kerry's mistake in giving Assad an out by giving up his chemical weapons. The U.S. then was bound to slow down what was going to be an imminent attack on Assad. How and much of that, how much uh, of ISIS presence in Iraq has to do with uh, U.S. Uh, intent for regime change in Iraq because uh, Maliki has – I mean, let's face it. He and Assad are Iran's only friends in the region. So – is, is 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 that one of the stated objectives of, for ISIS being there to 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 provide a pretext for regime change to get rid of Maliki, who has also uh, formed certain alliances with Putin? Well, I don't think so uh, because um, the U.S. cannot allow the Sunnis to take over, and you can't do that democratically in uh, in Iraq. Um, uh, the Sunnis would run roughshod over. Al-Maliki. Al-Maliki is a puppet uh, who's playing both sides uh, very carefully, and they're going to put in another puppet, and it won't be uh, a Sunni. And so the Sunnis will capture as much territory, and you're just going to have a stalemate, in my opinion. And uh, But ultimately, the target is Assad, uh, not Al-Maliki. Now, that said, remember that the disruption in Iraq of Al-Maliki's lockhold on all of the oil revenue will stop Iraq from being a major support base for Iran, so that when Israel attacks Iran, uh, that uh, Iraq will not be in any condition to come to Iran's uh, uh, help. So it's really kind of decapitating or cutting the legs under the Shiite portion of Iraq and not destroying it, uh, but not allowing it to be an effective ally of Iran. But remember, Syria must be taken down before Israel takes on Iran. Uh, one of the names being bandied about as a replacement for the puppet Maliki would be the puppet Chalabi. Well, he's been a puppet, of course, from the CIA from the beginning. They they wanted him before they wanted al-Maliki. It was unacceptable because of his uh, CIA paid uh, background. And uh, I'll tell you, the Sunnis aren't going to accept him. Uh, the Shiites really don't like them. Uh, you know, the, they, they deal, they accept the fact that the U.S. has a lockhold on the green zone and that they are owing to them, but none of them like the U.S. in Iraq. Not the Kurds, not the Sunnis, not the Shiites. So uh, ultimately, what I think is intended, though, is uh, they want a complete new Middle East war. And that Middle East war will start with the attack of Iran after a and the reason Syria has to be taken out of the way is Israel doesn't want to attack Iran until Syria's missiles, which are the largest retaliatory threat against Israel, are out of the way. And that's what Israel has demanded for years now. And the U.S. has finally taken that seriously and going to remove Assad. They've just been having trouble doing it. But believe me, they're building up forces in Turkey for an invasion of, um, of Syria. The U.S. just has to find a way to prove that Assad is cheating on the Chemical Weapons Treaty or yet or undo it in some way to justify it. And it may well be that ISIS, with a major basis in Syria, will be the U.S. excuse 
for invading Syria with NATO, U.S., and Turkish troops uh, in order to save Assad, but in, in the same sense, they could very well end up, you know, capturing Assad and, uh, and removing his military threat. Joel Skousen is uh, the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. Uh, how much of this has to do with creating a, a new front uh, for a war with Putin, seeing that, that he seems to be too in, entrenched and too strong to take on in, in Ukraine, uh, they want to perhaps, when I say they, U.S. and their NATO allies and their, and their friends in the Gulf region, uh, open up a new front so that they can, uh, they can uh, wage war, I guess, almost by proxy against Russia in, in the Middle East. I don't think so. Uh, Putin has shown in multiple instances that he has no intention of going to war yet with the West until it's a war of his choosing. And, for example, he was an ally with Iraq. He claimed that we would defend Iraq, wouldn't let the U.S. attack, didn't do a thing, other than eavesdrop on U.S. military operations during uh, Iraqi freedom. Uh, Putin showed no signs that he was going to intervene in Syria as well to stop the U.S. In fact, he never did deliver the S-300 missiles that he was supposed to uh, deliver. He kept promising them, but he didn't. Uh, and I don't think that he'll defend Iran. Putin is waiting for remilitarization to be complete before he tackles the West. And he's also waiting for his ally China to be ready as well to join in that attack. And I don't think they'll. None of their top aligned weapon systems are scheduled to be online until the beginning of the next decade. And so I think we're at least four or five years still away from a major war with Russia and China. And I think the Middle East war is probably going to go down within the next uh, uh, two years. Uh, I, I believe it was in last week's issue that uh, you reported on a, uh, a think tank uh, in, in Washington, a neocon think tank uh, headed by uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, uh, was essentially sending out the warning, the early warning signs that the United States needs to prepare uh, for war against Russia and China. Tell me more about that. No, they actually weren't sending out a warning. What they were doing was basically saying... Uh, uh, you know, this is a major uh, problem now that Russia is being, China is becoming more aggressive, just like I've been saying. And they just said, we need to make sure that our military is prepared for that eventuality. They are, And they said, not that we believe that this is going to happen. They're saying, we just believe in peace through strength. But what they're really doing, you know, the globalists have been permissive with Russia and China. Don't do anything to threaten the status quo. Use containment. Containment is an excuse for permissiveness. Don't do anything to undermine them, but allow them to feel secure in their realm. You know, under containment, Kissinger gave the miniature ball-bearing technology to Russia so that they can MIRV and multiple warheads on their missiles. Uh, and we've given lots of technology to China through, through Israel and other uh, avenues of uh, espionage as well. But um, Basically, what they're attempting to do here is cover for them. And I've always predicted that the globalists will downplay the Russian and Chinese threat. But when it becomes imminent, they'll start to warn against it. They'll switch sides so as to protect themselves so they can't be viewed as guilty of having been permissive about this. They will be the ones leading the warnings now so that when war comes, they will say, Ah, oh, we told you so. We were at the forefront warning about this war. When, in fact, for the past 30 years, they have been building Russia and China and creating every excuse possible to not contest Russian and Chinese hegemony. And that's the way Brzezinski is. They say he's the maximum cold warrior. 
Baloney, he's never been anti-Russian. He was for containment, meaning be permissive with Russia in the name of containment, but we don't do anything to actually take them down. Well, well let me ask you about the Russian threat because in, in, to my way of reasoning, Joel, and you can disabuse me of this, uh, but I think that the world is a much safer place when you have given – the, the misadventures uh, of, the, of the U.S. in places like the Middle East, when you have a countervailing force like Russia, like Vladimir Putin, who I do not believe is another Hitler, although one could say, yes, he may not be Hitler, but there are plenty of uh, um, uh, um, who was the, the British uh, – Neville. there are plenty of Chamberlains in, in the West. Uh, but I don't believe that Putin is a Hitler uh, – uh, uh, but I think it's important to have um, a countervailing force. We don't want a unipolar wo- uh, world, do we? Well, you know, there's an awful lot of people on the left and the right in the West who really look as Putin is the only one that can stop this globalist warmongering. And it's just naive. The point is that the Soviet Union never fell. The Communist Party just went underground. It's still in charge. It's in charge of Putin. Putin may not be a megalomaniac and psychopath as Hitler personally was, but he is a yes-man to the establishment in, in the Soviet, continuing Soviets, who, can, who are planning on destroying the West. So let's not be naive about counterfeiting powers. And one, and, you know, Russia is in, in no way simply going to contain globalist expansionism. In fact, globalist intervention around the world is meant to hand Russia and China an excuse, to hand them an excuse to nuke the West. Now, why would globalist war, uh, you know, leaders want a nuclear war with Russia where the Western military is attacked? Because it gives them an excuse to come out of their bunkers and say, we've been deceived, Russia and China, you know, we thought we're our friends, and now we've got a world war on our hands. And suddenly we need a global new world order, a militarized global government. That's what this is all about. It's not about containing the West from Putin's point of view. It's about playing the U.S. for suckering. That was the fall of the Soviet Union. It was suckering the West for all of the aid and trade that it could get because they couldn't build their weapon systems fast enough under communism. They need to do it under, like China, okay, building I got it. the West for Got to take a time out, Joe. Back with more of my conversation with the editor-publisher of World Affairs Brief. Backstage in the Global Theater here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. And the website is richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Joel Skousen, editor-publisher, World Affairs Brief, stays with us until the top of the hour. Once again, Joel, tell us how we can subscribe. Um, people can subscribe to the World Affairs Brief by going to that website uh, and this big subscribe button on that. You can see summaries of the current World Affairs Briefing. It explains on the website how you can get a free sample issue by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel, no greater proof uh, exists for me that this war on terror is largely a phony war than the open borders between the uh, the United States and, and Mexico. We have this uh, flood now of illegal aliens crossing into the United States from Mexico if they were really concerned about a terrorist threat. I mean, they would have sealed that border 
long ago. If I'm a member of ISIS and I'm thinking, how am I going to infiltrate the United States? Well, of course, I just, you know, cross over the Rio Grande with some C4 strapped to my back. But they don't do that. In fact, you know, the, anyone they round up, uh, these illegals are are quickly released back into the population and they don't show up for their court date. Uh, I think you pointed out in, in, in uh, this week's brief, about 95 percent of illegals that are rounded up do not show up for their for their court date. What's what's really going on with this, these illegal aliens crossing into the United States now? It, it's become a flood. Well, it, it's a multicultural agenda, meaning multicultural conflict. Just like the globalists in Europe have opened the floodgates to Muslim entrance into Europe, um, so that they can uh, you know change traditional voting patterns. Uh, and can demand humanitarian uh, aid and assistance, boost welfare systems. So they do that in the United States by opening the floodgates to Mexicans. And, you know, I'm a fluent Spanish speaker. I have many friends who have, you know, become responsible citizens across the border. But still, the, the majority of them want to will vote Democrat because they believe in social welfare systems. They've looked upon uh, those systems as uh, what will take care of us once we get to the United States and make our way. And uh, they, you know, it's it's a fool's paradise to teach or preach to Republicans that you've got to be more inclusive of the illegal aliens because they'll vote Republican if you help them out. The Democrats know that isn't true. The Latinos know that isn't true. And I think the Republican leadership knows that's true. But they, what I've said long ago is that the Republican leadership is controlled by the same globalist cadre, CFR and trilateralists that control the Democrats. They just give it a couple different uh, takes on it uh, so that it appears to be uh, a difference of opinion. Sometimes it's very vocal, but you'll notice that John Boehner is warming up to amnesty and he'll vote for it when it's finally presented. Uh, you know, they'll play like they're having a contest. But there's just really no real difference between the two major political parties. They intend to take down American values and conservative voting trends by flooding the country with illegal aliens. And, 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 and what's behind this, this – some are calling it a ploy uh, uh, right out of a, you know, the, a, a playbook, a, a ploy sending these children – unaccompanied children across the border. I mean, that just does not seem like it's some spontaneous uh, thing. It seems to me that that someone planned that, to send all these children pouring over the border. Well, you wouldn't realize it unless you spoke Spanish and listened to all the Spanish language people where they actually tutor people uh, about the fact that it's the law in the United States that if they're unaccompanied minors, they can't be deported. They have to be given hearing. And, you know, the liberals say, well, this was a law passed by the George H.W. Bush, meaning as if this is a conservative thing, as if this is the Republicans' fault. Well, it's actually the globalists' fault. The globalists ran the Republican administration of George W. Bush, just like they run Barack Obama. And that's why we had all of this pro-illegal immigration stuff, even during George W. Bush. I was present, you know, commenting on this. I had informers from Immigration and Customs Enforcement telling me that the Bush administration was telling them not to enforce the law, not to deport people, doing the same things that Barack Obama is doing, but it's now turned into a flood. Spanish-language television, Univision, and others keep giving specials. I mean, almost half of their commentary is about the immigration problem, and they keep giving detailed legal advice to immigrants, and this is broadcast all over Central America that if you send your children, and these aren't children, these are teenagers and 
around there. Uh, you know, the Mexican government will help you get them to the United States border. Once they get inside, they can't be deported. They'll be sent to other families. It's like a free ride. And it's literally turning into a flood coming across the border. The only solution is stop this insanity. You simply turn them around and, and give them a fine and a one-way ticket back to the border. You don't hold them. You don't give them medical care. You don't uh, send them to the relatives. You simply put them back across the border. And, of course, the ultimate solution, you, you need to seal that border. What would the what would it cost to to effectively seal that border? Either with a with a with a fence, with drones, with with military personnel. What would it what would the cost be? Nothing works except a fence. Nothing works except a fence. Drones don't work. You have to radio. You have to go find people. You know, out in the boonies of Texas and Arizona, it's very very difficult to find people at night, even with night vision equipment. You've got to stop them at the border. Let me put it this way. A single wall, 10-foot-high fence with razor wire on top would cost less than a billion dollars to finish the entire 700 miles that are unfenced so far there. They've got about 650 miles fenced, and only half of that is a people fence. So there's really only about 300 miles that are fenced that stop people. And it doesn't really stop them in the sense that there's no razor wire on top. They can climb them, but it slows them down enough. So if you had razor wire on top, where they had to cut through the fence and you had, you know, even some fairly inexpensive sensors, you could station a National Guard at once every eighth of a mile and you could guard that fence because you slowed them down coming across the border and you could effectively stop them. Okay, got to take a time out. We'll come back and and finish on that point and uh, some others. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. All right, Joel Skousen stays with us for a few moments yet till the top of the hour. And he, the editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Now, uh, let's just finish up on uh, on the uh, wave, the flood of illegal uh, aliens pouring across the Mexican border. And I'm wondering, I, I mentioned, you know, the, uh, the phony war on terror. However... Uh, let's assume for a moment that it's true that the United that, that ISIS is a creation of of the United States, uh, and uh, this out of control Frankenstein's monster. Some of them decide to turn their attention to the United States. Uh, wouldn't that be a great way uh, to infiltrate the U.S. is to is to basically pour over that Mexican border, you know. Uh, in fact, there are reports that ISIS is is uh, is working with some of the drug cartels down in Mexico. What are you hearing about that? Well, I have said this for the past uh, 10 years, uh, that it's proof that, that when you have only high-profile terror attacks like 9-11, these are government false flag attacks, because if you had legitimate terrorism, people would be pouring across the border. I've said that for the past 10 years. It's a proof that there are no normal acts of terrorism, none in the United States. And the only ones that the FBI has prosecuted, that is young, angry Muslims, are ones that they infiltrated the mosque, and they, gave, they incited them, they gave them the, taught them how to do it, they gave them the explosive, and then they arrested them to do it. None of those boys would have ever done any of that, you know, had it not been for agent provocateurs uh, who have a view of justifying the war on terror. Now... I will dispute that ISIS is not a purely U.S. creation. Uh, they don't have to. They are, through their occupation throughout the Middle East, creating a lot of hatred for America. So you really don't have to, you know, create all terrorism. You simply have to manage 
what you have uh, created. I mean, Al-Qaeda was directly something controlled by uh, U.S. Uh, black operations through Saudi Arabia and through uh, Pakistani ISI. But uh, uh, ISIS, I believe, is a composite of a lot of different jihadists uh, who have gone together. The U.S. has simply funded and given them weapons and ammunition and let them run, run rampant. So this is not something that they intend to control like al-Qaeda was at the very top, because I think that they, in fact, are going to attack ISIS, and you don't go and attack the people you actually build who are direct, you know, um, ploys of the dark side of government, but people that you induce and then you slap down later on, yes, that's a more logical thing. I don't believe hardly any of the stories about ISIS being involved in the drug cartels or attempting to attack America. Most of that information comes from neocons within the United States, neocons who have been building up the so-called uh, Islamist uh, fundamentalist threat to America, uh, the gun decks and the other people. And, the, uh, and that's really not a threat. Those things are done to continue to whip up conservatives into supporting the war, on, the phony war on terror. Uh, but hardly any of that is true. In fact, I'm frankly surprised that we don't hardly have anything coming across the border. I mean, certainly there are enough independent people who hate the United States that they might try to come across the oceans and then through Mexico. And the fact that they haven't is indicative that so much of this war on terror is, in fact, controlled by dark side government activity. Uh, what's the uh, the latest on, uh, on uh, calls and efforts to uh, impeach uh, the current occupant of the White House for things like his inaction on uh, on the illegal aliens crossing the uh, the border. Well, there's any number of reasons for impeaching the president for failure to obey the law, for uh, you know uh, improper executive orders that go beyond uh, uh, what a president's authority is. Uh, but as I've long made the case, they pulled off the Clinton impeachment specifically to poison the impeachment process. Uh, David Skippers, who was the Democratic uh, prosecutor of the Clinton impeachment, said it was the Republican leadership that kept me from prosecuting Clinton on the more important charges of uh, allowing uh, high technology to slip into to China, which is a much more serious impeachment charge than um, in the Monica Lewinsky. They actually just made a laughing stock of the impeachment process. And so ever since then, everyone just laughs at impeachment, just like they laughed at uh, when Ron Paul said, you know, he was violating the Constitution by invading a country without a declaration of war. And they said, oh, that's, that's old-fashioned. We don't do that anymore. And just like impeachment, John Bader saying, we don't do that anymore. I'm going to do a lawsuit against uh uh, Obama. I mean, this is laughable from legal and constitutional uh, standpoint. There is no basis for suing the president. And even if you could, what's the remedy? Is the court going to fine the president? The court is going to say separation of power. We don't have any power to fine the president. We're going to lock the president up. See, a lawsuit has nothing. The only legal remedy in Constitution is an impeachment. And so you have somebody less than credible, like Sarah Palin, come out and project this to give everyone else an excuse to slam her down and say this is something that is simply we don't do anymore. And that's what the Republican establishment is saying. Well, let's just look into the crystal ball into the future uh, t uh, two years. Uh, you mentioned Sarah Palin. Some still 
suggest she might throw her hat into the ring. Let me. I want to get your take on a guy that I've been following and 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 um, I, I kind of like, quite frankly, and and uh, that's. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson, the uh, the retired neurosurgeon, African American, highly accomplished uh, author, uh, hates political correctness. <laughs> uh, w- w- what do you think of uh, of Dr. Ben C- Carson on a Republican ticket? Well, I I don't think he has a chance, uh, just because the establishment um, simply won't allow anyone but a controlled candidate to uh, uh, to be the Republican nominee. Uh, that's why their first choice is Chris Christie. Uh, he may have shot himself in the foot sufficiently. I'm, I'm not sure he can't be resurrected. Second choice is probably uh, Joe, um, uh, Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio. Uh, what I can tell you is they will not allow Rand Paul to get the nomination or Ted Cruz. Uh, they're talking about one of the Nebraska senators who may be, uh, uh, you know, they will if you look at anything from the 2008, you'll see that they have a whole backlog of four or five different candidates. When they want to throw somebody at the public and they reject it, they bring in and all of a sudden they boost him with phony polling saying if somebody else is surging in the polls, like they did with Newt Gingrich and Rick Santorum and uh, you know uh, Rick Perry and other controlled candidates. Uh, so we can expect to have a backlog of four or five, but it won't be Ben Carson, in my opinion. I think he's too honest. Um, they're just not going to let an honest person in. They're going to have to have somebody control men. And I do believe, by the way, that they're, you know, Hillary Clinton has the nomination sewed up for the Democrats, but I don't think the powers that be want her in. I think they sense the pulse of the public that they want change from these Obama Democrats. And they're going to give them a controlled Republican as a way of tamping down the powerful resistance against what's coming. And that Republican will not allow us to get rid of Obamacare or change anything that's the status quo, but will move forward with compromise. And that's how you tamp down the opposition, not by bringing in Hillary Clinton. It's all about continuity, isn't it? It is. But it's also about fooling and taking the air out of people's opposition and suborning people's resistance. And that's what, you know, I think, you know, they want controlled puppets in there, and uh, Hillary Clinton would actually try to run the presidency. Even though she is controlled, they've got a lot of dirt on Hillary, uh, I think they'd rather take the benefits that a controlled Republican can give them, uh, rather than stick the country with another Democrat. Uh, I, I see one of the uh, the stories on uh, this week's World Affairs Brief has to do with the other hat that you wear, and that is as a preparedness expert. And you've got a preparedness tip entitled Bug Out Bags. Tell us about what, what, what do we need to have in a bug out bag, and what exactly is a bug out bag, Joel? Well, a bug out bag, of course, is uh, you know something that uh, you have ready-made and packed, and usually it's a backpack or a duffel bag where you have everything that you need to get out of town fast should we have a major crisis come. And, you know, most people live in urban areas, and uh, believe me, it doesn't take for about, uh, you know, a panic situation of 10 or 15 minutes, and suddenly the freeways are just clogged and crowded. And so having a bug-out bag means that you don't want to be sitting around packing food and water and extra fuel, uh, you know, extra change of clothing. And, you know, you need certain things for your car as well so that you extra gas in the, the tank. You need all that stuff packed in your garage so that you can grab it, throw it in the car, round up the kids, and get out of town if you're going to make an exit. And so in this, in every World Affairs Brief now, 
section, we have a preparedness tip. And this week was bug out bag. Last week was a new uh, a strategic relocation website that I've helped to uh, found. I'm not an actual owner in the website, but consulted with them. A lot of people are looking for places to move to or provide retreat possibilities, you know, to get out of Dodge to retreat to. That's what you need a bug out bag for. And uh, so this new website, strategicrelocation.com, gives people a chance to see properties that people list and to find properties and even to sell properties that they might have that have good retreat potential. And and retreat from what? What's number one on your uh, your list of concerns? Is it an EMP of some sort? No, an EMP will not come as a single event because anyone throwing an EMP strike, which is a high-altitude nuclear explosion, takes six of them to cover the United States and Canada. So this is not something that any terrorist can do. Only Russia and China can throw these. And then nuclear doctrine says you have a nuclear, physical nuclear weapons falling on military targets within 10 or 15 minutes after the EMP strike. So if there's an EMP strike, we're dealing with a nuclear war, which I think, by the way, is the most credible long-term threat that we're facing. I'm not a big fan of economic collapse. I think the powers that be are going to do everything possible uh, to continue to bail things out until they get to war, because the war gives them cover. You get a new world order, you get a new currency, you get a new mechanism for controlling economy, people, military, communications. War does everything for them. And ultimately, though, people's major problem in any crisis is population density. Too many people cannot take care of themselves, cannot be self-sustaining, don't have enough food or water stored when there's no electricity. They're going to be mass panic in cities within two to three days of any major crisis that involves the lack of electricity. And so people need to be prepared to get out of Dodge, have a bug out bag, have a place to go, and have a route plan that doesn't involve getting on the freeway. And I cover that in my book, Strategic Relocation, in great detail about how to map your routes out so that you don't get trapped by freeways and by uh, you know, major population refugee flows that are trying to get out of the, the major cities. And uh, you're, where do you retreat to? What would be your number one uh, location? I mean, are we talking about a, a rural retreat, a log cabin somewhere in the mountains, another country? Uh, where? Well, I cover all of those aspects. It's a very complex subject, and there is no, quote, safe place for everybody. It really depends on people's personal circumstances, but if you're going to retreat, it's got to be close enough that you can get there. I mean, people in New York aren't going to be able to get clear out to Utah and Idaho, which are probably that area, and the states around that and then the far west are probably the safest places because there's the fewest population out there, and there's lots of mountains and uh, places to... Uh, retreat too. But most people are going to have to find things closer to home. And there's a lot of places in rural areas, if you follow the counsel I give in the book, of how to avoid not being visible from any of the major or secondary roads, you know, nothing worse than people running out of gas on a secondary road and coming to your farmhouse, which is visible from the road, and you're inundated with people who uh, are desperate. Exactly. All right, Joel, listen, always a pleasure. I appreciate your time again tonight. Thank you very much, Richard. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief. The website, richardserrett.com. And as always, follow the truth.
friends. Thanks for inviting me into your home and thanks for your ears. I'm also going to thank you in advance for your voices because it's open lines for the next half hour. Open lines. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will join me after the break at the bottom of the hour for our monthly paranormal news roundup. Rosemary has come prepared with about four or so truly remarkable stories, including a report from forensic experts in Great Britain who say they've been able to pinpoint, get this, they're able to pinpoint the actual street, the actual street where the Jack the Ripper lived. They've nailed it down. Not only the neighborhood, but the street. And uh, we'll also discuss with uh, Rosemary this worldwide phenomenon uh, that's driving people mad, quite, quite literally. This mysterious hum. It's an audible humming noise. And nobody, I mean nobody, has been able to identify what's causing it. It's not tinnitus. I remember uh, last summer there were a number of uh, reports about this humming sound down Windsor Way in the Windsor-Detroit area, but it's worldwide. And uh, I noted with interest that a number of newspapers in Great Britain, the London Daily Mirror and the Daily Mail over there, talking about this humming humming sound that is... uh, just, as I say, keeping people up at night. It's making them physically ill. So we'll hopefully we'll get to the bottom of, of, of that with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator and regular contributor to The Conspiracy Show, who joins us, as I say, in about a half hour or so. Just a reminder again, Season 3 of The Conspiracy Show, the television program, debuts August 11th, 10 p.m. Eastern, across Canada on Vision TV. And again, let me remind you about the Dead Drop newsletter. Issue number three will be published in just a few days, and you can subscribe to the Dead Drop for free. It's fast and easy. Just go to richardserrett.com, click on the Member Area Login button. It's blue. Member Area Login. It's a blue button located on the left-hand side of the website near the top. Fill out the required fields, Prove you're a human being and uh, you'll receive a confirmation email. And if you don't get a confirmation email, check your spam folder. It's probably in there. Anyway, once you've done that, you're registered, uh, a registered member of richardserrett.com. And now, now you've got access to special members areas, uh, members only areas on the website. And you'll get the, the newsletter, the dead drop newsletter delivered to you in your inbox. All right, let's get this party started. You, me, and the telephone... For the next half hour. And here are the numbers. You should have these on a piece of paper and a ma- you know, with a magnet to your fridge door if you don't already. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. That's the greater Toronto area. And toll free from just about anywhere else is one 1- Eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Let me give you that again. One eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Next week, July twentieth, of course, 
July 20th marks the 45th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. So we can talk about that if you want, because that debate rages on. Was it a hoax? Uh, Not sure if you caught it, but uh, earlier this week, Buzz Aldrin, who was the second man to set foot on the uh, the moon, says, uh, now admits he saw a UFO during the Apollo 11 mission, but, but, don't get too excited, because Buzz was reluctant to describe the sighting as being of an extraterrestrial spaceship. He told a question-and-answer session, quote, I observed a light out the window that appeared to be moving alongside us. There were many explanations of what that could be, other than another spacecraft from another country or another world. It was either, this is Buzz talking now, it was either the rocket we had separated from or the four panels that moved away when we extracted the lander from the rocket and we were nose-to-nose with the two spacecraft. So in the close vicinity, moving away, were four panels. And I feel absolutely convinced that we were looking at the sun reflected off of one of these panels. Which one? I don't know. So technically, so technically, Buzz went on to say, the definition could be unidentified. So Buzz is, uh, you know, causing a, a lot of great excitement in the UFO community. And they're saying, aha, Buzz Aldrin has finally admitted he saw a UFO. Not so. Not so. He's saying technically it's unidentified because I can't tell whether it was the, the rocket we'd separated from or whether it was the four panels that moved away when we extracted the lander from the rocket. You know, uh, anyway, that, that's, uh, that's Buzz Aldrin. Uh, if you want to weigh in on the, uh, the lunar landing 45 years ago, and whether or not it was a hoax, you can certainly do that. Uh, a number of, of people have been uh, tweeting me recently asking for a program about Bigfoot. And I said, yes, I, I, re- I responded to those tweets, and I said, I will put together a program on Bigfoot. And uh, believe me, I'm not ignoring you. I am working on just such a program. In fact... Uh, I sent out an email today uh, to an Ontario uh, Bigfoot research group asking them to come on the show. And I just received a reply from the administrator, someone named Peter with Ontario Bigfoot. And he's up, on his, uh, up at his cottage uh, all through August on Algonquin Park. And uh, I think we're going to uh, make that happen because there have been a number, a number of interesting Reports coming out of Algonquin Park, just a stone's throw from here. Well, a few hours' drive. But Bigfoot sightings in Algonquin Park. And you'd be surprised, the number of sightings in, in, in Ontario. So we will do a Sasquatch show, a Bigfoot show, uh, as it relates to Ontario. And uh, we'll, we'll bring that to you in the next couple of weeks. All right, let's go to the phones. And uh, we have up first, joining us, uh, Fred, who is uh, calling from Humble, Texas. Fred, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, Thank you for having me on. I I do appreciate it. Uh, My pleasure. Now, uh, Humble, I happen to know, is not too far from Houston. Uh, You're up in sort of the northeastern part of Houston. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Just uh, just a little bit north on 59. There you go. uh, Coming out of Houston. All right. So, Fred, what's on your mind? Well, what I was calling about was it, it's, it's been kind of bothering me a little bit because I, I'm ex-military, 
and uh, I was a 14 Juliet, and I was part of the uh, the JTAGS program, which deals kind of with it, with a lot of the stuff that was part of the Star Wars program. JTAGS. Uh, yes, sir. Oh. Uh, it's uh, the Joint Tactical Ground Station. Is right. what it stands for. Okay. And you were in active duty for how long? I was in active duty for four years. Four years. All right. And w- w- what what it is what it, what that is? It's part of air defense, and uh, we used uh, satellites and ground based radar to uh, track any any aircraft or like missiles or anything else that was like a uh, that was unidentified or or identified that we knew was flying around. Because like all aircraft, uh, they submit like a flight plan or anything like that, and so well, whenever they do that, we get that information and that gets put into our system, so that way we can identify like any aircraft that's flying around, so that way there's no unidentified aircraft, so that way we don't have to worry about it. And you're tracking everything, uh, everything everywhere, essentially. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, it, and it's a global, so so it doesn't matter like where it's at. We are actually tracking it. And if something deviates from that flight plan, then that's whenever we start to worry about it. Okay, I think I know where you're heading uh, with this, and we've sort of uh, uh, we've we've. We've sort of uh, forgotten about um, uh, Flight 370, and I'm guessing that's where you're going. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, because when was that? March March of this year, so it's uh, over three and a half months. Yes, sir. Four and a half months now since uh, flight Malaysian Flight 370 uh, disappeared. Uh, so what... So what you're saying is, using this technology, there's no way, no how, somebody didn't know exactly where that plane went. Yes, uh, like they could track it down to within just the, like a couple feet of where where it was at at all times. Okay, and what is your uh, what is your uh, like what, uh, uh, what my your theory? Your what is your theory? I guess is what I'm asking, Fred. The the, the, uh, the that the U.S. military knows exactly where it's at. Like it, if it would have crashed in, in the ocean. They would have, uh, you know, like like I told the, uh, the the media and everybody else exactly where it's at, so that way they could help bring the families to rest. But with all the uh, the government scientists and and military personnel that happened to be on that plane, that uh, that disappeared, and then they don't know what they said. They don't know where it's at. And it, it's my belief that it's part of a. They're going to be using it for a false flag uh, terrorist event, like uh, maybe to since uh, you're coming out with ISIS right now, which is being backed by the CIA and much in a, uh, through covert, uh, you know, tunnels and stuff like that. That uh, w- what they're going to end up doing is using this plane here is uh, to perpetrate a terrorist attack and blame it on ISIS. So that way, uh, uh, another war can be perpetrated, right? Or some other, uh, uh, like some other agenda, could be uh, pushed through. Well, this is not the, the first time I've, I've heard this this uh, theory, and and. Um, you know, when you look at the payload uh, of that aircraft, this it's a it's a Boeing triple uh, seven, right? Yes. So the, the 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 payload. You look at the when it's fully fueled, how far that thing could fly, uh, the maneuverability and so forth. It's it 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 certainly ticks all the boxes. Uh, if some group wanted to. Deliver some sort of a payload. I don't know, dirty nuclear material, uh, even a small nuclear device. In fact, when you're talking about uh, creating an EMP event, sometimes the smaller the better. Bigger is not better when it comes to creating EMPs. So, um, well, well, tell me more. I mean, where do you think it is, Diego Garcia? Uh, 
Well, it's uh, my opinion that it's probably over, like somewhere over in, in like a deserted part of Africa, where there's uh, like nobody would have been able to see it, just a plane coming flying in because they wouldn't. There was nobody around to see it come in. Well, I've heard Somalia. There are lots of yeah. um, one of the one of the the criticisms that I've heard directed at this argument that it was commandeered was well, where are you going to land a 777? You can't just put those things down anywhere. They, they, dis, they, they, they demand a very long airfield. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you go and check Google Earth, there are ton, not tons, but there are plenty of very long runways, uh, airstrips, airfields in, in a place like Somalia, which is essentially lawless. I mean, you could land there and, and no one would really pay much attention. Yeah, like uh, when the U.S. was over there, we built airfields. That's right. That's right. I could be able to to land that plane that was there. Well, Fred, all I can say is I pray, I pray to Almighty God that you are wrong about this. However, I I suspect that there is some credence to it. You know, uh, I always found it interesting, Diego Garcia, this joint U.S.-British Air Force um, um, outpost in the South Pacific, they claimed that their radar was shut off. How convenient on that day. Uh, so they weren't able to track Flight 370. Um, I just, I always found that suspicious. But um, Fred, I appreciate the call and thank you. Uh, no problem, sir, and thank you for having me on. Fred, checking in from Humble, Texas. More of your calls, open lines to the bottom of the hour here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay a while, won't you? Uh, earlier I mentioned the, the supermoon. Uh, and on Saturday, on uh, this past Saturday, we had a supermoon. Wondering if you saw it, number one, what it looked like, and uh, it's spectacular, right? It, uh, if you've ever seen a supermoon, you just feel like you could reach out and touch it, this big, bouncy, yellow ball. Uh, really a sight to behold. And we've got two more coming our way this summer. I believe the next one is in uh, August. Let's see here. Let me consult my uh, my guide here. Uh August the 10th. The next one is scheduled for August the 10th and September the 9th. And I mentioned earlier as well that I've had major sleep disruption over the last several days, starting around Thursday, Friday, and especially Saturday. And I'm wondering if you experienced the same thing because there's been this age-old debate whether or not our moods and our sleeping patterns can be affected by the moon. And, of course, you know, we all know we're somewhere between I've heard anywhere from 50 to 75 to 85 percent water and of course the moon has an influence over water so if the human body is made up of water then obviously it would stand to reason it would have an effect on us have you been have you had your sleep disrupted by a supermoon let me throw that out there as well uh in the meantime let's welcome Brad in Collingwood good morning Brad welcome to the conspiracy show uh, good morning how are you I'm well sir how are you Doing well. Up in Collingwood, site of the uh, the Elvis Festival that's uh, coming up uh, coming up very quickly. Yeah, I try to avoid the town during that time. <laughs> you do, do you? Okay, alrighty. I'll be. I I, I head up to uh, to Collingwood and Wasaga Beach about um, oh at least half a dozen times a year. We'll be heading up next week with the boys because. Uh, uh, what can you say, Wasaga Beach? It's the longest freshwater beach in the world, I believe. Yeah, it, it is a great spot. And uh, I, I actually thought of you the first, uh, when, when I experienced this this past weekend, I, I thought of you because I knew that you like to go to the beach area, so I thought it would interest you. So, All right, I understand that you have um, a UFO sighting up that way. 
Well, yeah, it's uh, it was uh, an ex- an odd experience. Let's put it that way. I uh, was traveling home from work Saturday evening, about ten thirty, and I uh, noticed a large group of red, orange glowing orbs, balls. Um, hard to determine how big they were. I would say probably about the size of basketballs, beach balls. Um, traveling over the highway, right over, right overhead. This is uh, and, uh, number twenty-six. Yes, Highway twenty-six. That's right. And um, I, I pulled over immediately and got out and uh, tried recording. And the whole time that this was happening, I thought I was recording. In the end, it turned out that my recording didn't work, even though. While I was recording, I could see the numbers, and and it could just have been a mistake, but I'm pretty sure I was recording the whole time, but on playback, it won't work. So um, that in itself was kind of strange. However, um, these these balls traveled, these orbs traveled right overhead. There was lots of traffic. Nobody seemed to be that interested in, in them. Nobody slowed down, no brake lights, no nothing, but... They were playing as day. They were uh, they were very odd, and uh, so that kind of uh, made me wonder as well. With n- nobody concerned with them, maybe I was seeing things, but they were definitely there. Okay, and and you you say there were about five or six of them, and they formed a triangle. Well, yeah, and it's hard for me to tell if the triangle was if it was four or five or six uh, orbs creating a triangle or if it was in formation or if they were individuals and it just happened to be that they were in the shape of a triangle. It's really hard for me to say that, but they definitely were traveling in uniform. There was no deviation. There was no, they were all traveling the same speed, same line and, and no, no deviation in, in brightness, in, in speed, uh, nothing like that. So they actually traveled over the horizon and I was pretty disappointed because that was just, I just got recording and just got the car stopped and then all of a sudden three more in almost a straight line were behind it and went right overhead, right over top of where I was standing. Were they making any sound? Nothing. No sound. Couldn't hear anything. No, no buzzing or fizzing, no nothing. And the three that, the three that followed, the last three that went over top were close that they could they were putting off a a glow uh, illuminating the um there's an overpass very close to where i parked and and you could see the, the glow off the overpass and they were within a couple hundred feet i would say of where i was standing and what kind of a light? I mean, were the, how bright were they? I mean, were they were they illuminating any of the surrounding areas? Well, when they went over the trees, when they when they went uh, over the horizon, the, the trees in the horizon, I guess, which weren't that far from me actually. So when when they went out of sight, you could see the tops of the trees being illuminated by them, but just a little bit. It wasn't like a, a spotlight or a light. It was more of a glow, mm-hmm. and it was just casting a little bit of light, but there was, there definitely was a, 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 a glow. And, and how would we it. rule out something like, let's say, a Chinese lantern, uh, for example, Brad? How do you know that these weren't Chinese lanterns just blowing in the breeze? Well, 
the my, my explanation of that is I've dealt with Chinese lanterns a little bit, and the glow that they put off does, depending on the wind, the breeze, they do flicker. Right. These had no flicker to them. They were constant, um, constant glow the entire time. And as I was standing there, when I thought I was recording this video, um, I was narrating the whole time, and the wind was in my face, and these were traveling a, uh, east to west kind of away from me, um, opposite, not opposite direction, but not with the wind. Not the wind with the wind, gusty. okay. Yeah, the wind was gusty. There's no constant breeze, and these things moved at a constant speed. Interesting. Okay, so they were traveling not against the wind, but they certainly weren't traveling with the wind. No, absolutely not. Uh, okay, well, let, you know what? We, we just have a few moments yet uh, left in the uh, in in the hour or in the segment rather before Rosemary Ellen Guiley joins us. But let's just put that call out there. Anyone listening who was up in the Collingwood? Uh, let's see, between Collingwood and Stainer, uh, Highway Twenty Six, uh, Saturday night. What about ten o'clock? Did you say? About ten thirty is ten thirty. Okay, and uh, about a half dozen orange-red glowing orbs, 10.30. What direction were they moving again, Brad? East to west, almost directly east to west. East to west. Along, uh, okay, as you're driving along Highway 26 between yeah. Stainer and Collingwood, Saturday night, 10.30 p.m. All right, well, let's just uh, – and if, if you've seen anything, if you saw anything, would love to hear from you. Uh, you can email me. Contact me through the website, richardserrett.com, or we have a few moments. We've got about, uh, I don't know, six, seven minutes. We'd love to hear from anyone living in that area. 416-360-0740 or 866-740-4740. All right, Brad. Well, listen, thanks for that, and we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll get uh, some other witnesses to that. Yeah, thank you very much, Richard. I appreciate it. Brad up in Collingwood. Interesting series of lights on Highway 26 on Saturday night. Anyone else see it? Would love to hear from you. All right, let's uh, check in next with our uh, our good friend, media scientist, Nelson Thal. Hey, Nelson, how are you? Very good, Richard. How are you doing tonight? Very well, thank you. And I had a suspicion you might call uh, it being the, uh, well, we're closing in on the 45th anniversary of the uh, of the uh, lunar landing. And you, have, uh, you and I have done a number of shows over the years on on that particular event. We have, and um, we ended the last show with a terrific quote from the Bible, from Scripture, uh, Psalm one fifteen sixteen, which says, "The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men." And um, it sort of does give a great um, example of the constraints that were placed on mankind. And of course, this has always been talked about by people, scientists in NASA, and it basically is about the Van Allen belt and the impossibility to get beyond the Van Allen belt and survive the radiation for both man and computers. Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the Van Allen belts, and as you know, Nelson, you and I have talked about this over the years. I'm, I happen to believe that we, we, um, we put man on the moon. However, I will say this. It's always bugged me. When a, why haven't we gone back since 1973? Forty years, and we still haven't gone back. Number one. Number, one. number two, we're told uh, and we're assured that the Chinese and, and uh, perhaps uh, um, in India are working on a joint program, uh, that they are very close to putting a man on the moon. If China is not able 
to land a man on the moon, let's say within the next five to ten years, I would say that would give a great deal of credence to what you're saying. If they can't do it and we haven't been there in 40 years, one has to wonder why not. And maybe the answer is we never were there. Well, I don't think we were there. And the thing is this, the Russians were ahead of us all along. The Russians put the first man in orbit, the first man in space, uh, the first space station. Uh, all of a sudden, the, we came out of nowhere, supposedly went to the moon, and the Russians didn't equal it and continue it. Uh, and when we follow the money, and Sherman Skolnick and others followed the money, the money went to Bell Helicopters and to Zebra Imaging, and it went to all sorts of other companies that built basically the high frontier uh, Star Wars uh, um, particle beam network that they're relying on today that's similar to the Iron Dome being used by the Israelis to protect themselves. So when you follow the money, the money did not go to anything, and even the flimsy lunar module. And, you know, this isn't the matter of debatable interpretation, Richard, and it's not my idea or yours, but we've had top NASA scientists. We even had um, a scientist who had been in the Bush administration on who just talked about how there's so many reasons scientific why it can't be done. But this was a big hoax, a big heist. And if they tell us they're going to the Mars, it means they're looking for an excuse to steal more money from the American people's pockets. And the question is, what do they intend to do with that money? Well, um, you know, we also, of course, uh, we're all scratching our heads wondering uh, why certain astronauts who supposedly landed on the moon and, of course, Buzz Aldrin has always been very vocal, but, uh, you know, the first person to, to set foot on the moon, uh, we're all familiar with his stony silence and the fact that, that he rarely spoke about, uh, you know, what he saw on the moon. And, and some, some took that recalcitrance uh, to suggest that, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't want to lie about it anymore. Yeah. And uh, let's not forget Dr. Morgan Reynolds, who was in the Bush administration, right. came on the show with you. And, and, uh, and he was a, a scientist as well in the Bush administration, talked about how it's, it's impossible to beat the radiation and getting to the moon uh, for a man. And none of the astronauts got cancer. You know, I mean, really, when you start to go through the real story about it, and people should take a look at the the, the um, Kubrick, uh, the um, the Kubrick film, because Kubrick was used to fake the moon landing, and NASA asked for Kubrick's camera that he used in Space Odyssey 2001, in which he made it look like they were on the moon. It's interesting that NASA used that camera and requested and ask Kubrick if they could use the camera. you got to wonder, why would NASA want Kubrick's camera? There's, and, of course, that's just one of many, many different dots that line up that, that show that this thing never really did happen. Well, uh, I mean, at this point, Nelson, I'm, I mean, I'm on the record as saying I believe we did land on the moon. However, as I say, let's wait a few years. And if, if China is not able to land somebody on the moon, India, some of these joint programs with some of the BRIC nations are talking about putting a man on the moon within the next few years. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to have to come to you and do the mea culpa. Well, the Hubble telescope could easily long ago have zeroed in and shown us 
if these guys had landed on the moon and taken off, these guys would have shown us the the uh, the Americans love to show these things. They would have shown us the landing pad that's still there. It's been 45 years. We've still well, of course, the Hubble is only is not 45 years old. But when the, the minute the Hubble came out, they could have shown us pictures of it from that's the, from true. it, and they've never shown us a thing. And uh, even they could have even photoshopped it and thick faked it, which I'm sure at some point that's what's coming. All but right. We want to make sure that in years to come, people will remember that we were not fooled here at the conspiracy show. Nelson, my friend, always Thanks a pleasure. A Thanks. Talk soon. We'll have Bye-bye. lunch. Nelson Thal. All right. When we come back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, contributor to the conspiracy show and our paranormal news roundup. Back with more. Stay with us. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is one of the leading experts on the paranormal with more than 50 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages, and she's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? Doing well, Richard. Things are busy this time of year. I'm getting ready to go out to Arizona to speak at a conference on afterlife communications, which is one of my favorite areas of research. Sure, sure. You, you wrote a, a phenomenal book, uh, Talking to the Dead, with George Norrie. And uh, that, and then Dream Messages from the Afterlife. So I'll be talking about different ways that we can communicate with the dead. And uh, we're going to have a good crowd there. There are some uh, well-known mediums who are coming, some scientists who are doing some research. I'm quite excited about it. Oh, I wish I could be there with you uh, next time, perhaps. Listen, speaking of uh, communication with, uh, with the spirit world, uh, an amazing story, really quite shocking, out of Mexico, uh, where we have uh, a, a, Mexican, a report of a Mexican orphan who took shamanic drugs in order to contact her dead parents with a Ouija board. This is such a sad case. It's tragic because it it involves almost every no-no in the paranormal. One, uh, she was uh, she's an, an underage uh, person. She's only in her teens, 16, and that's an age uh, that uh, kids should not be messing around with the occult. And uh, plenty of them do get into trouble with the Ouija board. So she's orphaned. She's trying to contact her dead parents. She's got crazy people who are telling her to take drugs and use a Ouija board, uh, hallucinogenic drugs on top of it. It's, it was insane. And um, this was a very powerful uh, plant drug that she used that was well known to induce horrific visions. Uh, and she had a complete breakdown, which, uh, of course, then people around her blamed on spirit possession, that a demon had come into her, and she was convulsing and speaking gibberish, taken to the hospital. Uh, And, yes, in cases like this where a person has a complete breakdown and uh, drugs are involved, um, this is an opportunity for negative spirits to come in and, and take hold of someone. It's... Um, the, the people who, who urged her to do this, they're the ones that really should be held accountable. These were her guardians, I believe, were they not? They were, and they convinced her and two others, uh, her brother and a cousin, uh, to take the drugs and then use a Ouija board to try and contact the dead parents. 
Uh, well, the Ouija board is problematic enough, and uh, in my book, Ouija Gone Wild, which you and I have talked yes. about on a number of occasions, we have so many stories in that book of uh, people who have gotten themselves into big trouble by uh, improperly using the Ouija board. So you've got kids who are desperate, don't really know how to use the board in the first place, and then you combine deadly drugs on top of it. Uh, it's it's really a, a very tragic story. Well, her guardians believe that she still may be possessed. And as you say, this this drug, which I'd not heard of, it's called Brugsmansia, uh, and the uh, these trumpet flowers, as you say, very poisonous, and they can induce very dark hallucinations. So what's your determination on this, Rosemary? Is this an authentic case of spirit possession, or is this merely the work of, of, of this hallucinogenic drug? We'll have to wait and see on that, because um, the, the visions that uh, one experiences on this kind of drug, and this drug is used for spirit visioning to contact the spirit world, and even in adults it can be uh, a very dangerous uh, thing to do. Um, we'll have to wait and see how she does over a period of time. And after all the effects of the drug have ha- have worn off, if she's still having uh, like nightmares and feels that something's inside of her, then we do have a case of genuine possession. At the very least, she may have experienced temporary possession. What happens when someone has a complete breakdown like that and they've used something that also breaks down the barrier to the spirit world um, a very powerful entity can jump in. And then you've got the Ouija board on top of it, which attracts dangerous kinds of entities. So it is a mix for an ongoing uh, possession problem. What also astonished me about this story was uh, the guardians went to a priest to ask for for help, and he said no because the kids were not regular churchgoers. Oh, my. How is that being spiritual and uh you know a shepherd of of human beings no that's horrible i mean he is he's sworn to to minister that's terrible that's terrible rosemary ellen guiley is with us and uh, we're conducting our monthly paranormal news roundup i have to talk to you about this this is an ongoing story uh i remember a few years ago uh in fact i was i, I covered the story there was a hum a strange humming noise in in uh, windsor in the Windsor, Detroit area, and uh, nobody could come up with a, uh, an answer as to what was causing this ear-ringing uh, low hum. Um, and now we're getting reports uh, from all over the world, from uh, New Mexico all the way over to Somerset, England. Uh, there's an interesting story in the Plymouth Herald in the UK about this mystery hum, which is driving sufferers mad. It's it's a really weird case, and I got interested in these hums, too, back when the Taos hum was um, getting a lot of attention. And then uh, a couple of years ago, a mystery hum was reported in Seattle, the city where I grew up, and that really piqued my curiosity. Well, I found in my research that reports of these mystery hums go clear back to the 1840s when they were documented in London. And as you said, Richard, they have been reported all over the world. This is like a low-level rumbling noise. People often liken it to machinery or a diesel engine that's idling. And nobody can ever find the source. There have been a few cases where it has been tracked down. And down in Australia, there, someone even proposed that it was the mating call of some kind of fish, which I thought was really wild. <laughs> that, is the, that is the wildest 
uh, <laughs> potential answer I've ever heard. Listen, let, let, me, let me take a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll continue to talk about this mystery hum being heard all over the world. Rosemary Ellen Guiley right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? And we are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley conducting our monthly paranormal news roundup. And I don't know if this fits necessarily into the realm of the paranormal, uh, but it, we don't have an, an answer as to what's causing this mysterious hum all over the world. And it's, it, there are YouTube videos all over the place uh, of people recording this. No one can figure out what's causing it. There are different frequencies reported, even though people always describe it as a low rumbling kind of sound. And people have speculated that it's been some sort of earth energy, like maybe uh, shifting tectonic plates or something like that. Uh, the thing that's really interesting to me here, uh, which may point to a paranormal explanation, is the fact that people become ill from it. So many people report that they're disturbed by the noise, they can't get it out of their heads, they get headaches. They feel nauseated. Their sleep is disrupted. So it's a detrimental kind of sound. And uh, if there were entities, hostile entities around, they could be alien beings that we might call ETs or the jinn or demonic entities, uh, one way to, uh, to wreak havoc with people would be to uh, use something, that, uh, a weapon that would make people sick. And uh, sound is very powerful in that regard. It can have a tremendous effect on the body. There's been so much research about how different frequencies affect us on a cellular sure. level. Sure, Tesla was all about that. Level. Sure, Nikola Tesla uh, was all about that. Absolutely. And, and we've had even people speculating that this is part of the conspiracy, that it's, uh, you know, the, the government, the Illuminati, the military experimenting with ways to manipulate people. But um, we don't have a natural explanation, so it's, to me it's very logical to look for paranormal ones. And the first thing that I think of uh, is uh, the ability of hostile entities to manipulate things in our environment, which they do very well in haunting phenomena, so why not manipulate sound? Uh, to literally make people sick and drive them crazy. I, I suppose that's a possibility. I, I, I'm right now leaning towards uh, an explanation that has to do with some sort of a weapon. Back in the Cold War, apparently, uh, the U.S. Navy uh, developed something called Takamo. It was uh, a take charge and move out, and it was used so military leaders could communicate with American submarines, land-based missiles, and long-range bombers. Uh, so who knows? Maybe they're firing this up. It could be part of some sort of a psychological warfare experiment, or uh, yeah, maybe they're just trying to drive people crazy. See what if they can control their minds. It makes sense as a weapon, and we even have accounts in mythology. Look at uh, Odysseus and the Sirens. Yes, uh, that you could not sail past the islands that were guarded by these sirens who made these sounds that were so piercing that if human ears heard them. Um, the, the people would be rendered insane. And uh, so when his ship is, is passing by the sirens, he instructs his men to cover their ears so they won't hear the siren call. Um, so it's been well known since ancient times that sound can be used to destroy people. Got to talk to you about this. Uh, this is a chilling story. It, it takes place in Singapore. And uh, someone left a child's doll on the side of the road, it was found blindfolded, again, on the side of the road. And the legend is that if you, if you come across this doll, 
You're not to remove its blindfold, or else you could find it following you home. Is this thing possessed, Rosemary? It could very well be. And even though this story has uh, some of the hallmarks of urban legend to it, uh, instant urban legend, we do find these things on the Internet, there's still a body of literature and experience and folklore behind this to give it a lot of credence. Dolls are among the most commonly haunted objects. And uh, there are various reasons why. They're, they're duplicates of people. They're substitutes for people. And uh, when children play with them, they give them personalities. And humans regard them as the same way. Uh, it, I have many stories in my own case files about uh, people who acquire dolls secondhand, and they say the dolls come to life. They move around on their own. They give them nightmares. Uh, they create poltergeist disturbances. And uh, so this doll really does fit into that category. What's interesting about this case is that uh, the doll is, is supposed to be blindfolded. It's been found blindfolded, and that's to prevent the doll from uh, following somebody home. And uh, this is uh, also documented in Simple Magic, that if you take a substitute for a person, like a doll or a poppet, and you want to put a curse on them, you would mutilate the doll in some way that then the person would feel that in those parts of the body. For example, if you slash the palms of the doll's hands, then the person would feel the same. So the doll then, uh, what, what happens to the doll is transferred to the person. So if the doll is blindfolded, then like a person, it's, uh, it, it can't go anywhere. And uh, so its sympathetic magic link is, is then stopped. Um, how, how much of these uh, cases uh, that have been reported with this doll are actually true or, you know, sort of fabricated as things go around on the Internet, uh, it's hard to say, but it does have a basis in paranormal fact. Well, there, there are reports that this doll, blindfolded and found on the side of the road, uh, speaks in a woman's voice and is able to move of its, on its own accord. And believe it or not, I've had cases like that, especially clown dolls. There's oh. something about clown dolls that people find to be terrifying. The worst, they are. And, uh, you know, we have that in movies, too. You know, like the, uh, the ventriloquist dolls and uh, the talking dolls that start talking on their own killer clown dolls. Um, Stephen King uh, made, um, what was that doll's name, the killer clown doll, Pennywise, I think. Uh, famous in uh, in one of his novels, right? And there was Chuck, uh, Chucky. So, and, and, and I ha I have had people tell me that that um, they they get these dolls, and then there's something strange about the dolls, and paranormal phenomena erupts in the house, and sometimes they hear audible voices coming from another room. They go in the room, there's the doll, uh, or they hear the voices in their heads. So here again, we've, we have a basis in real experience for what has been attributed to this doll. All right, and finally, Rosemary, you know, one of the longest unsolved murder mysteries of, of all time, of course, we're talking about uh, Jack the Ripper, uh, who uh, terrorized his, uh, his victims and, and, and much of the notorious East End of London uh, and was able to elude detectives for, for more than a century. Now criminologists are saying they think they know where Jack the Ripper lived. They've, they've narrowed it down to the actual street. It, it makes sense what they did because they've used techniques in criminal forensics to identify the location of, 
uh, of sus of uh, who might be a suspect in serial uh, murder cases, where uh, they know that uh, most serial killers have certain patterns. They operate within a certain distance of their home. There's always a buffer zone around the home. And uh, through pinpointing things on a map, uh, they can narrow things down. The sad thing about this story, though, Richard, is that there's no more flower in Dean Street, uh-huh. uh, which is the alleged street where they think the, the actual murderer lived because uh, it was bombed out in World War II. And so unless they are literally willing to do archaeological uh, excavations, uh, where are they going to find the evidence that could pinpoint an actual person? Uh, This was such a slummy area of London, and there were so many transients. How are you going to nail it down to a single person? Brothels, opium dens. They were tantalizingly close, but not there. Right, right. Uh, the, The police, in the original Ripper police reports, talked about Flower and Dean Street as the foulest, most dangerous street in the whole metropolis. So, it sounded horrible, and there were so many prostitutes in the area, too, uh, and um, uh, crime, you know, uh, people uh, being robbed on the street and, and uh, attacked and mugged. Um, and, of course, all those murders, well, there's only five murders that have, uh, are officially linked to Jack the Ripper, uh, but a lot of murders did take place around that same time frame, and I think it was 19, or excuse me, 1888. Um, a paranormal angle here. Oh. Uh, I do believe that a lot of serial killers are possessed, and that uh, they uh, listen to something that motivates them to do their crime. In fact, I was um, interviewed for Psychology t- Today, for the online uh, Psychology Today, uh, on was Ted Bundy. Uh, possessed by a demon uh, or a jinn or something like that. And uh, one can make the case that uh, they are under some sort of paranormal influence. Charles Manson, another example, son of Sam, even admitted that some demonic entity talked through his dog. Sure, Mark David uh, Chapman. Told him. Mark David Chapman talked about having a, a spontaneous exorcism in his, his jail cell. Uh, I, I think there is something to that. Listen, Rosemary, always a pleasure. Uh, and uh, we will talk again next month. Happy travels. You're off to Arizona. Thank you. It's going to be hot there, Richard. (laughs) All right. Lots of sunscreen. Enjoy. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Always a pleasure to hear from Rosemary. Uh, Rosemary and I have talked in the past about uh, uh, people who buy haunted houses uh, because there are a number of states and a number of provinces, I believe, in Canada, where real estate agents are obligated by law uh, to tell a prospective buyer whether our house, whether our house is has is haunted, uh, whether or not you believe in in the paranormal uh, or or not, it's the law. And I was just uh, noting uh, recently on 2020, uh, they interviewed a real estate agent by the name of Cindy Hagley, and she's based in California, and she runs a a, a realty called Past Life Homes, and it specializes in the selling of so-called what they call stigmatized properties, which includes haunted houses. And you'd be surprised how many there are people are lining up to buy haunted houses. Uh, Cindy says, right now we're in a seller's market in almost all of Northern California. You can have a dead body swinging from the chandelier, and I'm still going to have 10 offers on the phone, she says. 
Hagley says plenty of houses for sale come with supposed tenants of the supernatural type who've allegedly lived there for hundreds of years. In some states, as I say, including California, realtors are required by law to tell buyers if a home purpose, uh, purportedly has ghostly inhabitants. But even after telling potential buyers that the house is haunted, Hagley says many are still interested. Some don't care, and some expect a huge discount, she says. Now, get this. A Realtor.com survey found that uh, 62% of Americans, 62% of Americans would consider buying a haunted house, while 35% think they've lived in a haunted house. All right. Uh, Listen, back next week with a brand new show, Jim Fetzer will be along. Oh, you got to listen to this one. Some shocking details. Uh, Jim Fetzer on the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. He says it's total flim flammery. Here we are a year and a half after Sandy Hook and uh, the evidence, uh, he says, that that shooting never took place is overwhelming. That's Jim Fetzer. Also, listen for me on Coast to Coast on Saturday, July the 19th and Saturday, or Sunday, July the 20th, the 19th and the 20th. I'll be hosting Coast to Coast, but I'll be right here on The Conspiracy Show next Sunday as well. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.